Welcome to a place where we combine equal parts science, technology, design, and entrepreneurship. Then we gradually stir in magic to the mixture, and you have the Perception Podcast. Join us in conversations with design heroes, inspirational thinkers, business leaders, and trailblazers across the globe. Today on the Perception Podcast, we welcome Bruce Walker. He is a professor at Georgia Tech University in the schools of psychology and interactive computing. His sonification lab studies human-computer interaction issues in non-traditional interfaces ranging from mobile devices, cockpits and vehicle displays, multimodal interfaces in education, and in complex task environments. Particular research interests include sonification and auditory displays. Professor Walker teaches HCI, sensation and perception, auditory interfaces, and assistive technology. In addition to academic research leading to over 150 publications, he has worked and consulted on projects for NASA, state and federal governments, the military, and private companies. So raise up your volume and enjoy this special podcast with Professor Walker. Welcome, Professor Walker. Thanks so much for being on the Perception Podcast with us today. It's good to be with you. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about where you're from and where you grew up and your education, things like that. Sure. I'm Canadian. I was born in Montreal and um, uh, grew up uh, all across Canada. But the one thing that's of interest is that I wanted to be an astronaut. Uh, When I was a little kid, uh, Mark Garneau, who was one of Canada's first astronauts, came to my school and and gave a presentation. And uh, so he was... um, is very impressive, and at that point, I wanted to uh, to go into space. So I asked my uh, my older brothers, my parents, well, how do you become an astronaut? And they said, well, I guess you study something with astro in it. So uh, <laughs> so I studied astrophysics because it's had astro in it. Uh, so I ended up at McGill uh, doing an undergraduate degree in physics, uh, indeed astrophysics, and uh, was, was doing great. And then I realized at some point. It wasn't really the revolutions of planets and stars and galaxies that was cool. For me, it was Buck Rogers and Captain Kirk. Uh, so I realized I was more interested in astronauts than astrophysics, and I figured, how can I, uh, how can I somehow be part of that world? So I ended up tacking on a, a, a minor in psychology and mm. uh, and. L- studying how you can design stuff for astronauts and figured I'd want to be a part of designing this space station. So fast forward several years later, I, uh, I got that opportunity. I, I found myself at Rice University in Houston and I was studying a PhD in psychology. And you know that um, NASA's Johnson Space Center is, is, uh, is in Houston and I got the, the chance to work at NASA. Um, working with the astronauts and uh, helping design and test and evaluate some of the uh, the products and features and procedures and uh, devices that they use in space. So I got my dream um, and uh, from that point, uh, and in fact even from my time at McGill, I was, I was always aware of um, some of the challenges that being in space um, presented. And it turns out that when you're in space, it's often very difficult to look at a visual display. Very hard to see a a GUI or a user interface. So I ended up working a lot in sound and using audio um, 
and it fit very well in the space program. I, I helped um, with the caution and warning systems um, for the space station. Uh, they need to know when there's a fire or a rapid depressurization or toxic spill or something else. Uh, and they use various different sounds for that. Um, and then as part of my, my uh, research in my PhD at Rice, um, I got deeply into sonification and, and using sound in lots of different ways, in particular helping blind kids learn math. So that's kind of the, uh, the fast forward from, from, um, from being a stargazing kid to, uh, to a PhD. So how did you go from that to becoming a professor? Um, almost by accident, you know, I figured that I would be a, a, a researcher, a designer, and uh, I was finishing my PhD, and I got an email from, from uh, a professor um, at Georgia Tech, uh, Wendy Rogers, who's a, a, a fantastic individual and a, and a wonderful professor. She, uh, she said, look, they're, they're hiring. Would you consider applying? So I did, um, and uh, another long story short, I ended up getting uh, hired at Georgia Tech um, as a uh, as a professor of both psychology and uh, computer science. So I have a joint appointment in, in those two different uh, schools, and it kind of reflects my my background, the technical physics and and technology background, but also the fact that I have a PhD in psychology and I'm all a, really a people person. Hmm. So you mentioned the Canadian astronaut as a, you know somewhat of a role model growing up. Do you have any other role models uh, as you were going through uh, your you know high school, college, and the rest of your career? Uh, indeed, there are plenty of um, uh, of the astronauts who are, are amazing role models. Uh, Julie Payette, who is another Canadian astronaut, is now the Governor General of Canada. is a friend of mine. And, um, amazing. The astronauts uh, are, are amazing. Uh, and great role models because they're they're passionate and they're they're extremely interdisciplinary. They have to to bring um, the depth of a PhD type scientist with the can do get her done um, perspective of a MacGyver. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know when you're in space, if you don't fix it, there's uh, there's no there's no Culligan man, there's no Maytag guy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, you're uh, you're on your own. So I find that um, uh, pioneering spirit in the modern era very fascinating. So I, I look up to a lot of those kinds of individuals. But I'm also fascinated by people who are just generally passionate and good about what they do. Whether that's uh, an academic who is is so smart and so uh, focused on answering questions in a particular niche or uh, inventors and entrepreneurs who can um, take the leap uh, and and go with an idea and make it happen, bring something to the world uh, that we've never seen. Uh, I find uh, people who are passionate generally are the ones that I look up to. You mentioned uh, Buck Rogers before. Uh, as you know, we're uh, we're sort of a design studio that that merges science fiction and science fact. I'd love to hear a little more about. Uh, science fiction that maybe inspires you, uh, whether you were uh, when you were growing up or even even today. Well, when I was growing up, um, Captain Kirk, um, another Canadian, I must say, um, was uh, was all the rage, right? And mm -hmm. we all learn to speak like the Captain Priceline Kirk. guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, 
the, the technology was fascinating at the time, and I was always transfixed by the holodeck and um, all of the communicators and the scanners that were in, across the entire um, Star Trek uh, line of, of, um, of program, right? And um, how they could have a device that they would wear on their hip and, um, and it would do some somewhat magical scanning, right? That was the, that was the amazing part of, of science fiction at the time. Uh, and, and space travel and the fact that you could just be on some other planet and um, not be in a spacesuit, uh, all, all of those things that, that um, seemed like they had figured it out and, and technology had allowed them to get on with getting on. Technology had allowed them to live and experience and travel and explore, right? Whereas you still think today that technology kind of is clunky. You look like a look at a uh, an automobile, a car. It's not exactly like the technology is invisible and and hey, I am exploring. Um, I'm going to target. The technology of your vehicle is still kind of in the way. Mm-hmm. So I really enjoyed the. Uh, the fact that the technology in most science fiction is is in some senses in the background. Without the technology, you need the technology in the story to kind of get over that sort of willing suspension of disbelief thing. Um, but I was always more interested in the in the human side of things and, and the fact that um, they were visiting new new worlds. It sounds kind of nerdy, but I guess that's just sort of what was interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny how you mentioned um, Star Trek and Captain Kirk because one of the stories we always tell potential uh, clients or even just the story of perception is how science fiction drives, you know, technology and how, you know, uh, the Motorola StarTac uh, flip phone kind of came from the Star Trek communicator, uh, device. communicator device, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's just always interesting. And that's kind of how, you know, well, that's exactly how the world of perception works is that, you know, we do these science fiction movies and try to come up with these futuristic, you know, products or or applications or devices and then we work with real technology companies to, you know, to help them kind of make them real or, you know, close to real uh, uh, as to what we do in the movies. So, um, I love that you that you brought that up. Um, I, I, it's a it's a central thing, you know, and what it really boils down to is that the the storytellers in science fiction are telling a human story and the technology is just a prop it's just a, a, a way to, to get from place to place or to you know um, smooth off the edges of, of disbelief and so when you're telling that human story they they the science fiction uh, creators typically look at what would be sensible for two people if they want to interact mm-hmm. you know what what's going to make sense so they're naturally um focusing on on usability even though they may not realize that uh and then unfortunately when we go to build the actual technology 50 years later we're not focusing on often we're not focusing on the people in the human story we're, we're focusing on the phone or the technology or the 3g or the 4g or the 5g um 
and that's often uh, where the, the modern technology is kind of clunky and seems inelegant uh, compared to what we saw in, in science fiction. Because the science fiction is, um, is coming at it from a, a different perspective. Yeah, I mean, we use it as sort of a testing ground to prototype new technologies uh, where we are able to test out a new gadget or a new device in a fictional setting between, as you mentioned, two characters, two personalities that are trying to solve a problem uh, and figuring out if this technology can help them. And that example Danny said of the communicator device that inspired Motorola was not necessarily just because of the form factor of the device, but because it demonstrated the utility that such a device would have uh, in these situations, uh, helping them perform uh, certain tasks. Absolutely, and you see um, lots of examples. Even that that whole evolution. There was a there was a time when I guess it was Sprint that had the push to talk uh, feature on their on their phones, and you had this sort of walkie-talkie feature that was also very reminiscent of the uh, the Star Trek communicator. Um, that particular function seems to have gone away in favor of text messaging. But um, I think you're right on that that. Uh, um, Life imitates art in in many senses. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the uh, the that Sprint phone um, or Nextel because I had that when my wife was pregnant back in wow, two thousand two, with our first child, and she wanted it because she could reach me anytime. It was like you know the pager, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so it was amazing. Uh, you know, of course, it was a, a little bit frustrating because she could reach me at any moment. But we won't talk about that part. Um, <laughs> So I want to ask you, what, what is a typical student that joins your lab or comes to your classes? Uh, the typical student that joins my lab um, is a, um, a multiple threat. The interdisciplinary person who has a, um, a depth in some particular field, like a, a solid undergraduate degree in psychology, but is also very capable in a technical field, like can program or do statistics or solder. Um, and in addition, uh, has some other non-academic interests as well. I want these people to be um, have some depth um, beyond just school. So they, they might be a psychologist or psychology uh, undergraduate who can also program and plays the piano, or a... Uh, a technical person like a physics major who's also interested in um, human sensation and perception um, and has played competitive soccer for 12 years. Mm -hmm. I mean, just um, very interdisciplinary people that, um, that have people skills, have technology skills, and have some other passion that um, uh, I think rounds them out as, um, as a human which also makes them much more formidable as a researcher. Right. Somewhat reminiscent of the astronaut that you talked about, you know, not, having a specialty not, and then being able to pick up, you know, something else because something's burning. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Not at all um, uh, surprising given the, the uh, respect that I hold uh, for, for the astronauts. And look at, um, uh, you know, we have, we have astronauts that play the guitar in space. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious, just as a side question, did you happen to see the documentary on Bob Lazar on Netflix? I didn't, no, have not. 
Okay, it's worth checking out. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a lot of about alien technology now that's uh, been coming out because of this documentary and something that we've been fascinated and glued to here at Perception the last few weeks. Okay. Definitely worth watching. Um, so going back to uh, um, teaching, um, do you teach online courses or is it you know more about them having to be in the lab and, and, and things like that. And I would, I would love to hear also about your, your thoughts about online classes and, and the movement, you know, in the, in, in the education, uh, realm. Uh, so Georgia Tech is, a, is a pioneer in, in online courses and we have one of the first, um, if not the first, um, uh, complete degree in computer science that's uh, that's entirely online, right? So, so we completely mm-hmm. embrace online education here. I personally have not uh, led a complete course, but I'm currently uh, working on uh, a team of, a, uh, of students and colleagues are working on a on an online course. Um, I like the idea of online courses for a number of reasons. Uh, the first one is that they can have dramatic reach. You can have, as the, the acronym MOOC would suggest, a massive online course. And uh, tens or potentially hundreds of thousands of, of students. So reaching that kind of an audience is, uh, is a great potential for, uh, for the online um, forum. There are plenty of kinds of material that are very suitable it seems to uh, to be delivered in um, in an online format and, and most of, of those kinds of topics are already offered by many people online there are some particularly the more human uh, kinds of topics and the ones that are quite frankly more interdisciplinary uh, still remain a challenge to uh, to deliver online um, I'm not insure, not really sure why. I guess I I can't claim to be an expert, um, but it seems that um, the the sort of interdisciplinary teams and the uh, the kinds of projects that we like to run in our um, say our, our user interface design courses, our HCI classes, um, we're still scratching our heads about how to how to make that happen in an online um, setting. It, it's often very helpful for people to. Uh, work together in an interdisciplinary team on a project and um, getting them together in one room and um, and engaging with each other and engaging with the, this sort of interdisciplinary topic um, still seems like a, a, a good strategy. Mm-hmm. But like I say, I'm, I'm a newbie and um, uh, there are absolutely people working even uh, in doing very very successful online courses, uh, even in HCI. So, can you talk a little bit uh, to us about what types of projects flow through your sonification lab? And I also would love to hear some of the e- examples of some of these non-traditional interfaces that are mentioned in the sonification lab description. The remit or the the work that we do in the sonification lab um, is generally speaking centered on non-traditional or multimodal multimedia user interfaces boiled down that basically means how can we use sound to communicate information to people it's what I've always been doing 
from the time I was an undergraduate, from the time I uh, did my PhD at Rice and, and all of the work at, at NASA and so on, it's all about using sound to communicate information. Now we do that, we apply that in about four different areas. The first one is formal education. So how can we use sound in formal education? And quite honestly, what often happens is, is, is that is a, um, uh, the, the projects that come out of that are typically related to assistive technology or helping uh, students who are blind or visually impaired um, learn math or, or learn something. So how can we teach blind kids um, the, uh, the kinds of uh, curriculum that we, we want everyone to have? Obviously, it's going to involve um, audio in some way. The second sort of pillar of our research is informal education. So those are the, the kinds of educational experiences that are outside of school, like a field trip or going to a museum or a sporting event, um, other kinds of um, learning opportunities that are not um, uh, sort of traditional. How can we use sound in those circumstances? Well. When you, sorry to interrupt. When you when you're talking about sound, you're you're going beyond just the spoken word. Absolutely, we use sound in every possible right. um, sort of sense, every right. definition of sound. Um, and as a sidebar, that's uh, certainly speech, speech output from the from the system of the computer talking to you. It's speech input, like you talking to Siri and and giving a voice command. Um, but beyond speech, it's also all kinds of sound, um, structured sounds and intentional sounds, beeps and bops, warning tones, um, and, and um, true sonification, which you can think of as an auditory version of a, of a datagraph. So with all of those different kinds of sounds, we have the formal education, we have the informal education. Uh, the third pillar of our, of our lab is uh, electronic devices, and that's kind of... Um, a catch-all sort of for cell phones and um, uh, computers and cars and thermostats and anywhere where where we can use sound as a as a mechanism for presenting information or, or interacting with the system and then the fourth and final pillar is driving you might wonder how driving fits into all this but it turns out that that driving is a very visual task. You are meant to keep your eyes on the road and you're always scanning for pedestrians and uh, other cars and bumps in the road and potholes and so on. And while you're maintaining your visual attention outside of the car, there's lots of other secondary things that you need to know about. Your speed, um, temperature of, of your vehicle's engine, uh, what radio station you're listening to, what time is it, uh, what are the kids doing in the back seat. So lots of other things that you want to know about. How do we convey information about those secondary um, sources of information in a way that's going to allow, to allow you to keep your eyes on the road? And one possible solution that fits well for us is sound. So with those four different pillars, those four different um, kind of large categories of um, of project areas, we really try to investigate um, sound. Now each of these projects that would, would sort of be in these buckets, we generally come at it from this interdisciplinary perspective. So we'll have psychology research questions that we're interested in, and we'll have technology that we want to develop and deploy and evaluate, and we bring that all together. Um, 
so we might make a an auditory user interface that you can uh, put in your car and it will tell you um, something about uh, the traffic situation so you don't have to be uh, looking that up on your on your ways or your, your Google Maps did you get to see Black Panther by any chance I did so uh, when you're when you're describing some of this uh, uh, sonic and auditory work I'm, I'm drawn to it for so many reasons but one of them is the research that went into Black Panther from our team. Uh, as you know, the, the society of Wakanda is built on this magical element of vibranium. And when we were brought on to help uh, sort of define the technology of Wakanda, so much of it was around sound. They had explained to us that vibranium, this element was built on, on sonic properties and they figured out ways to weaponize it and They've used it, obviously, in clothing and in medicine. They use it for communication, which is exactly what you've just been talking about. So it was, a, it was an amazing uh, exploration for us. We went down a lot of rabbit holes in, uh, in all sorts of research being done uh, in the world of sound. I'd love to hear a little bit more of some of the uh, findings that you guys have had and, and maybe some of the other uh, interesting projects that you've been using this technology for. Sure, there's lots of uh, projects over the years. Um, I can just pick on some of the highlights. Uh, one is a, um, a project that we've been working on for, for uh, many years actually with partners in Kenya. And we're focusing on developing software that can help uh, blind students uh, in Kenya and indeed anywhere um, learn math and science concepts. So that's been, um, been a whole program of research and it's led to some interesting software uh, packages. One's called the Sonification Sandbox, and uh, one's called Math Genie. These are all uh, software tools that are intended to uh, take math or science concepts and um, turn them into sound. So that's uh, that's one whole program of research that we're quite um, happy about. Uh, its many successes. Um, other projects that we've had. Uh, Going into the car, for example, uh, there are a lot of um, a, a lot of people who suffer traumatic brain injuries, and uh, whether they're a, a veteran who's uh, who's been through a roadside bomb, or whether they are, are in a car accident or something, and quite often they'll have to go through extensive rehabilitation physically, and then uh, after that they'll they will want to get back into society. One of the important things of getting back into American society is uh, is being able to drive, and so if you you want to drive but you have this residual br uh, brain injury, um, what are some of the challenges? Well, it turns out that many of the people uh, who have traumatic brain injuries and want to drive, they have things like hemispheric neglect. That's just a psychological term for saying you kind of ignore half of your world. Um, if you're driving and you ignore the left side of your world, that's a bit of a challenge. Um, or uh, other people with this, uh, with with traumatic brain injuries, um, might zone out. They have problems uh, maintaining sustained attention. So if you're driving, the first five minutes you're fine, but then after five minutes you kind of zone out. Again, not good when you're driving. So. We built a whole um, demonstration technology to address these challenges so we can monitor what a, 
a driver is doing and intervene when necessary, typically using audio, uh, to help them remember to check the left or to check their rear view mirror or maintain spacing or remember what the speed zone is um, or, or pay attention. So that's a, mm-hmm. another fascinating um, project. And the last one that I'll mention is a, sort of a brand new one. Uh, we've just published some uh, uh, some papers on on this, but uh, I'm working with uh, with a team, partly uh, re- Georgia Tech researchers and partly a startup company, and we've developed a uh, a diagnostic tool to help dermatologists diagnose skin cancer. And so it is uh, involves some artificial intelligence um, and involves some uh, computer vision. But it also involves a layer of sonification. So, as as unusual as it may seem, you can take a picture of a, a mole or some some um, lesion on your skin um, using your iPhone, and that gets that picture gets sent uh, to the cloud, if you will, and analyzed uh, by our system. Um, some interesting deep learning algorithms. And then after that, uh, the the data there that comes out of the deep learning system is sonified. And through this whole process, uh, we're already seeing amazing uh, gains in accuracy in diagnosing skin cancer. So it feels good to uh, to take what we've been studying all of these years in academia and try to put it out there in the world uh, to have some real impact. It's very interesting. Um... Now, you mentioned a little bit of, of what you've been doing in the in the automotive uh, realm. Uh, when we first connected, we actually wanted to work with you on uh, on the 2017 Ford GT. It was something that uh, we were working on on the show car. And I know we had contacted you to help us with this multi-camera system. I won't get too deep into it, but... Um, you know, it would record your, your kind of your actions while you're racing on the track. Um, and then... Uh, output a, a, a trailer or a teaser of your racing um, to the cloud as well, a, a video. Um, and, uh, and I know that's, that's one of the reasons why we got in contact and, you know, didn't get to work on it because that was one of the things that uh, got scrapped, but um, we continue to stay in touch. So I wanted to ask, have you been working on, besides what you just mentioned in the automotive industry, uh, any other interesting things in the supercar realm or in any other cars like, um, you know, especially with self-driving technology, things like that? We have. Uh, we've got a lot of projects in the, in the driving space, and some of them are sort of more industrial design kinds of things in collaboration with other people here at Georgia Tech, um, looking at next-generation um, control surfaces and form factors for, for the next generation of a vehicle. Um, we're looking at, for example, what – what if we had to design it from the ground up? What would the next generation of a police car be? Um, and would it look like what we see in in many of the science fiction? Um, yeah, I was going to say RoboCop or Transformers with. Um, wow, I forgot his name now. Yeah, Sites exactly. Now. Right. It, so whether it's it's it goes that direction or whether it's an assistant like um, Kit. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of these kinds of um, uh, futuristic-looking um, for, 
and forward-looking uh, uh, designs, but we're also looking at uh, self-driving cars and understanding uh, automation. As one example, when you are in a car and you switch off or you hand off control to the car, you basically turn on the autopilot, and you settle in to, to read a bit of your Harry Potter novel, at some point you may need to take control back and uh, either get off the freeway, um, you know, park your car or, or navigate some, um, some situation where there's an accident and, and the automated system isn't quite capable. Uh, what exactly is happening to your situation awareness while you are engrossed in your Harry Potter book? Obviously, you don't know what's going on around you. You don't. You are sucked into the story of Harry Potter and and uh, and have no awareness of of the traffic or the the weather or anything that's around you. So we can use sound as a second channel. As you are enjoying your your novel, we can be conveying information to you through sound in your car and uh, through many different formats and keep you aware of what's going on. If uh, if you're reading your book and all of a sudden you hear dun 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 dun, you might think, wait a minute, let me put my book down for a minute and see what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, so we have we have given you a little bit of situation awareness through that secondary channel, and then uh, we can take that to the whole next level and and completely uh, keep you aware of what's going on around you if necessary. So that's one example of. Um, blending the psychology and, and the technology in, in future-looking systems. Uh, another driving-related uh, effort is understanding how people with disabilities are going to interact with cars in the future. Uh, some of that is form factor, some of that is just design, but a lot of it is um, inter human technology interaction. How does a blind person interact with a self-driving car? Is that possible? Is it going to be possible? We hope so because the automated driving capabilities, if and when they come to fruition, they really open up a lot of new possibilities for, for people with disabilities to get out and about and be more independent. But it still remains unsolved how that blind person or that person in a wheelchair or that person with a uh, tremor or some other uh, challenge in their life is uh, is going to interact with that uh, self-driving vehicle mm -hmm. it, on every level right so when you when you call a taxi or an uber and um, there, there's this sort of last this last meter negotiation so the Uber's arriving, you see the, the, the black um, Toyota Camry that you're expecting, the license plate matches, you raise your arm and, and the driver says, ah, okay, there's, there's my, my ride, and they, um, they pull over. Well, how does that little bit of negotiation happen for someone who's visually impaired? Mm -hmm. um, and it just goes on from there. Once they get in the vehicle, if, if that is a if that's an automated vehicle, how is that going to happen with anybody, let alone someone who has these extra challenges? So we're looking at the, the, the gnarly uh, deep end edge cases um, 
chewing on those and, and trying to see if we can come up with some interesting um, possible solutions. Some of what we come up with is pretty science fiction-y, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and some of it is uh, a little more on the um, uh, practical, uh, practical end. Right. It's interesting you mentioned that because one of our automotive clients tasks us with a very similar um, project that they asked us, you know, what would it look like if a, a car pulled up um, and you ordered it from your, your desktop, but then you have your, your iPad in another room and then it goes from your iPad or, or tablet device to your phone to your, you know, uh, watch that you're wearing on your wrist. And then from them going from their, you know, from their uh, their house into the car, and then that whole same situation is completely different than for someone who's visually impaired, even though it's yep. the same situation. So we had to do different, uh, you know, same similar situations but different outcomes for different types of disabilities, and that was a huge, uh, very interesting project for us um, that we learned a ton on. Um, so it's 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 interesting that you mentioned you had a similar you know, uh, a project that you were working on? Well, I think, you know, you're, you're touching on something that um, the very, uh, the very thorny challenges that are, that we are seeing uh, as technology moves forward um, is, is trying to move forward with the technology and not leave people behind. And, not marginalize people. So as education moves forward and technology is supporting education, can we make sure that kids who are blind are also uh, given access? Kids who uh, have other challenges or disabilities, um, also um, kids in school districts that don't have a lot of tax revenue, right? The same is what uh, applies to what you were just talking about with um, uh, with uh, the experience of a blind person interacting with an Uber or a, or a rideshare kind of um, situation. Can the technology lead to more inclusion rather than less inclusion? Mm -hmm. Yep. So uh, do you have any conferences or speaking engagements where people can hear more about you and Georgia Tech? Um, yeah, I'm going to be talking to the guys from Perception on a podcast. <laughs> yeah. uh, Good answer. <laughs> You know, I'm I'm a bit of a nerd in that uh, most of the the speaking engagements that that I have uh, these days are 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 they related to um, uh, presenting our academic work at a fairly academic conference um, or, uh, or or making pitches in as part of startup companies. But um, so it's not like I'm on the uh, the, the TED Talk circuit. Um, where so, I tend to have more impact is uh, is here at Georgia Tech or in in the, um, the the teaching that we do. That's that's kind of the uh, sure. the place I'm more often out in the uh, in the public. Absolutely. Where can people reach you or get in contact if they want more information? Uh, well, it's taken me 20 years, but if you Google Bruce Walker, I am the first one that that appears. <laughs> uh, there's another. Uh, there's a few other Bruce Walkers in the world, of course, but I am um, uh, easily reachable on on the interwebs um, here at Georgia Tech, and uh, I'm happy to to hear from people either by um, uh, by email or um, uh, by by fax or by um, a pager message. I still carry my pager. Uh, <laughs> 
We'll link to uh, your your email and contact info in the in the notes absolutely. for this episode. That's great. You see me on LinkedIn, and and uh, you know the one thing I have uh, uh, not jumped on board with was uh, is Twitter. Um, I do have a Twitter account, and uh, I don't think I've ever tweeted, but I still have a bunch of followers, which um, <laughs> so, somehow is uh, bizarre to me. Uh, but I'm absolutely um, always interested in in talking to people who are interested in the things that I'm interested in. Well, we really enjoyed talking to you today. Thank you so much for taking the time. It was endlessly fascinating for us, and we really, really appreciate it. Yeah, this is great. Thanks, Bruce. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, guys. And that wraps up another episode of the Perception Podcast. As always, send any questions and comments to ask at experienceperception.com. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and our YouTube channel. Sign up for our weekly newsletter on our site, experienceperception.com slash contact. Lastly, if you enjoyed this podcast, please go to iTunes and write a nice review. See you on the next episode. Thank you.